Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles or your devices to John chapter 3 as we trek through this incredible book called The Gospel According to John. And uh, in the past few weeks, as we've launched into this journey, we've learned a few things because John is an incredible teacher who was incredibly close to Jesus while Jesus was on the earth and even afterward while he was found on the Isle of Patmos where he would write the book of the Revelation. So he has a special relationship with Jesus and he's trying to help us understand exactly the magnitude of who Jesus really is. And so he started out and he helped us understand that Jesus is is God. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is God. You really have to embrace that, wrap your mind, your soul, and your arms around that reality because that changes everything. The second thing I want you to know that John told us is that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. In the Genesis account, when everything came into existence, Jesus was there with the Father and with the Spirit. We also find out that Jesus is a miracle worker, and uh, Jesus still performs miracles, amen? Amen. And then last week we saw that Jesus has amazing authority in the words that he speaks. Now, when he was walking on the earth speaking, incredible things happened just because of his word. He went into the temple last week and he cast them out. He took a whip and he turned over the tables to the, to the most religious event on the Jewish calendar. He went into the temple and he cleaned house just with his spoken word. No soldiers, no weapon, just a whip, uh, just a, a mild whip that he had braided together uh, as soon as he showed up. So he has authority in his word. Even today, when we read the Bible, the Bible is Jesus on paper. It is the word of God. Jesus uh, became flesh. That's what we learn in this gospel. And so when you read God's word, it should, it should take authority, have authority and power in your life. Well, today we're in John chapter 3, and the title of the message on the back of your worship guide is simply this, The First Steps Matter. Now, the reason John is going to unpack this today by an encounter that Jesus had with another man is because it is all too common for our human nature tendency is to get the steps out of sync and out of order for us to do one thing before we've accomplished what it is we were supposed to do first. And so the proper steps, the chrono uh, chronology of what we do matters. Now, let me paint a picture of that. So we got a young family in our church, and uh, we were in life group last week, and and uh, <clears throat> this young family has a little boy, and, and he's probably between two and three years old. Is that right? Probably somewhere in there. Yeah, two and three. And so they're going through this whole potty training thing, okay? Sometimes not so fun. Well, their little boy Silas, he's being potty trained, and he ain't convinced that it's such a good idea. Okay, the whole number one thing, he's cool with that. The number two thing, that's eh, what they make diapers for. And so at, right in the middle of this battle, teaching him to be fully potty trained, their little boy looks at his daddy, and he says, Daddy... She's pretty. I want to marry her. And it's a perfect teaching opportunity. Let's get the first steps first. Matt looked at Silas and he said, listen, you need to be potty trained first. Ain't no girl marrying no guy still pooping on herself. <laughs> what an incredible teaching moment. Okay. 
Now, I still don't think he's convinced. He'll just postpone getting married. But what's funny, this is my life group. I mean, it's theological depth is what we're talking about. DJ Dushini was there and, and told Matt, he said, if, if you have enough money, they'll still marry you. Okay? Now, that's the world I live in. That's our church. That's what our church looks like. So it's important that we get the steps right and that we get them in the order that they are designed to be in. Now, God has a series of steps that we're supposed to take in our journey with him. But often, we get this sideways, and it is prevalent, not in the world, but in the church. And so we're going to look at that today. John is going to reveal this. Point number one, look at me. Look at me. This is who we are often as religious people church-going people. Now, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, let's read. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees, and his name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, This is incredible that early in this gospel, John presents this story. And I think there's a reason that it's early in the story. Because I believe Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit inspiring John to write, would have John address something that's common in our lives today. Because at some point in our spiritual journey, we play the part of Nicodemus. Look at your neighbor and say, you look kind of like Nick. Now look at your neighbor and say, I ain't talking about Saint Nick. Okay. You look a little bit like Nicodemus. Now let's unpack Nicodemus because John gives us some incredible ideas, uh, some incredible uh, uh, characteristics of this man early in this gospel. First of all, he says, uh, he says he is a Pharisee. Now a Pharisee is the religious cream of the crop. The Pharisee is, is the, the, the rock star of religion. The Pharisee had, had a habitual life where they were very intentional about religion. He would have been a conservative in terms of how he viewed Scripture. He would have uh, understood theology and the depth of God's Word. He would have memorized early in his life the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's all I can do to remember the five titles. All right, He He memorized them all. All right, Not only that, but he was a giver. A tither. He gave first fruits of all that he had. Not only that, he was a prayer. He prayed. He was diligent in praying to God. Uh, not only that, he was a scholar of all of God's word. This guy was a religious guru. He had it going on. He would fast twice a week, about two times more than you. Okay? I mean, he was engaged. Why? Because a Pharisee had an agenda. Their agenda was to earn a place in heaven. And that's what religion looks like. Religion looks like this I think I can, I think I can, I think I can philosophy. That if I'm good enough, that if I'm, when the scales at the end of my life, when the scales are placed before Jesus and all of my good deeds are placed in one side and all of my bad deeds are placed in the other, then if, my, if I am better than I am badder, then I'm going to heaven. If I'm better than I am worse, then I'm going to heaven. Listen, Jesus doesn't care whether or not you're better than badder. Jesus cares about holiness, perfection, and righteousness because Jesus is 
holiness, perfection, and righteousness. And what we're going to unpack and see today is that when, when your day is over, when your journey called life is over, and the one who created you looks at you as the judge, he doesn't look at a set of scales. He looks at one thing. What have you done with the righteousness, the rightness of Jesus in your life? Where's he at? Is he saturated your life? Is he right in front of you hiding all of your natural sinful tendency? Or are you like some that feel like you can stand before God in your own goodness and he will be fine? Well, as we unpack this, I want you to see that who we really are, we need somebody like Jesus. Tell your neighbor, you need some Jesus. I want, I, I, in case you're wondering if you're a pretty good person, let me define you based on Scripture. Let me define me, the chief of this passage. It says in Romans 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. There is no one who even understands, and there's no one who even seeks God. All have turned away, and they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do you hear, do you hear that? I mean, that it's, not, it's not painting a lovely picture of us, okay? Now, I know you all look pretty good, but when I read this, it reminds me of who I am in the depth of my, in the depth of my uh, humanness, in my flesh. That's what we look like. Isaiah 64, 6, the prophet says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteousness, our righteous acts, are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Now, the idea of look at me, I think I can, I think I can, religiosity is not a new thing. Nicodemus didn't create it, and you didn't create it. It began, it emerged, it showed up at the very beginning of creation. About three chapters deep, you'll remember, Adam and Eve are in the garden of, of beginnings, the garden of perfection, and they have some simple rules. You know, you all can run around in the garden naked and unashamed. That's cool. And he says, and while you're there, just you can do whatever. You're free to roam, but just stay away from that one tree, that one solitary tree. And you know the story. The, Mr. Crafty shows up, the devil uh, shows up, and he says, listen, now God's holding out. He didn't really say that, did he? And he starts being a little deceptive. Next thing you know, they take of the forbidden fruit, and they find themselves naked and ashamed, hiding from their creator in the garden. And what do they do? So that they can present themselves to God, they religion comes forward. They, they do something to make themselves presentable to God. They make them some clothing out of fig leaves so that God will still be okay seeing their nakedness because they've done something to fix their condition. And then we find out what? God's not satisfied with us fixing ourselves. So God sacrifices an animal and gives them clothing of skin. So I just want you to know when we feel best about ourselves, that's a good time to go before God and say, I'm sorry for what I just thought about myself. Yeah. All right? Now, so point number two, point number one, Nicodemus, like all religious people, like you, like me, we say, hey, look at me. I'm doing, I'm, I'm a tither. I attend regularly to church. I go to small group. I pray. I tote my Bible around. I mean, I look good. All right. I went to a Christian school. Uh, I, you know, I, mean, I got it. I've got this going on. All right. He says, so, so, so we say, look at me, Jesus. Point number two, Jesus says, I did. All right. Listen to what verse three says. Jesus answers. 
He says, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, now, hold on, Jesus. Uh, why, you, you should have, like, read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, here's a guy who's coming with a legit question. I mean, he's coming, but he's recognizing Jesus as rabbi sent from God. And, and, and he's, you know, he's giving of his time. And, and now you're, gonna, you're not even going to acknowledge that he's trying. I mean, you're just going to go just kick the legs right out from under him right there. I mean, Okay, let me ask you this. Have you ever been very, very confident in something only to find out you were stone cold wrong? I'll give you an example. 1980, graduated high school. We were still chiseling letters on a stone. And uh, I ended up going to Tennessee Tech. And got to Tennessee Tech. I graduated A's, some B's, a few C's. And in English, I made A's and B's. So I go to Tennessee Tech, and it was composition class. Now, I don't pretend to be a scholar, but I can hold my own, all right? First paper I ever wrote, I mean, I've turned that paper in. You know, they would give you categories you could write on. And I wrote this paper and turned it in. I thought, man, they're going to give me like a scholarship because this thing is like, you know, Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, this is real deal stuff right here. She kept it a few days. She passed out her papers. It looked like a Christmas tree. It had a big F with a circle around it. What is the circle? Like F plus, F minus? I mean, like, this is terribly terrible. I don't even know what the circle was. But it was a big red F with a circle around it. And it marked up everything. It crushed my spirit. I thought about quitting school. I mean, because I, I, of all the things I thought I could do, that was it. Nicodemus is right here. He's, man, he's looking at me. I got this. I got this. And Jesus says, listen, you're here because you want to know one thing. How can I be sure that when my life is over, I find myself in heaven. See, Jesus knew. He, he looked into the depth of his soul, into the depth of who, he's, who he was, and he knew exactly what he's thinking. Listen to me, church. He knows what you're thinking too. He knows your motivation for all you do, all you say, all the places you go. He knows the depth. Why? Because he's God. Because he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows it all, and so he knows your motivation. He knew Nicodemus's motivation, and he says, I checked you out, and he says, unless you're born again, as simply you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven, right? Now, what does that mean? It means this, you're going to hell. That just doesn't sound very politically correct. It just doesn't sound very user-friendly. It doesn't sound very Oprah Winfrey-y, okay? It's not all-encompassing. Let me tell you something. The truth is the most tolerant, the most caring, the most loving position on the planet because to lie and to embrace someone in their wrongdoing before God is the worst tragedy you can ever be a part of so Jesus says listen I know you but the bottom line is this you've got to be born again Jesus said in John 14 6 he cleaned it up about how intolerant some may accuse him of being he says in case you're wondering of where I fall in terms of how you can get to heaven when you die he says I am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except by me that's it he says you want to go to heaven when you die you want to go to heaven you must come through me. Jesus said, I'm the door. Jesus said, I'm the way. Jesus said, I'm the light. Jesus is the only way we can come to heaven, and he doesn't bend the rules for anybody. So, 
basically what he's saying is, is you've placed your faith in the wrong thing. Now, I want to tell you something, church. There's a lot of people, not outside the church, inside the church that simply have placed their faith in the wrong thing. We've placed it often in ourself and how good we are. And Jesus says you can't get there that way. You can't be good enough, listen, to overcome those moments when you weren't good enough. Did that make sense? It, 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 Jesus says this, if you were perfect, absolutely perfect, you can't be, but hypothetically, theoretically, if you were perfect from this day forward, you can't be perfect enough to undo your imperfection from the past. So Jesus says, you got nothing except me. And so he's trying to convey that to Nicodemus. Now, when the preacher preaches a hard message and the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and it convicts us to change, it invites us to a different place and we feel it and we know it's like in that moment, church, listen, where it's like the whole world disappears and like God just like a laser just speaks right down into the core into the depth of who we are it's in that moment that we've got to respond and you know what human nature typically wants to do we joke about it this is what we do so listen what Nicodemus does he just Jesus just knocked the feet right out from under him and point number three is you're joking Nicodemus says you're kidding me right because listen what he says in verse four so Nicodemus said to Jesus how can a man be born when he's old? I mean, he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born now, can he? That's a good point. I mean, born again. I mean, that. And let me just go ahead and, 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 and say this. The whole, church, the whole uh, childbirth thing, it's brutal. I said that right. It's brutal and beautiful all at the same time. Okay? And ladies, you know how bad it is to feel childbirth mothers you ought to be the one on the other end standing there watching that I mean you got an epidural the guys need like an epidural to the brain now I'm joking women don't get mad at me I'm just kidding okay y'all got the short end of the stick on that whole deal I'm just saying okay now here's the deal here's the deal childbirth is an amazing thing okay and 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 here when something when the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us, what we do sometimes is we jest, we, we, uh, we joke about it a little bit, we play it off instead of surrendering to it. I, I'm going to help you with this because this is a hard passage. Because what Jesus just said to Nicodemus, he's saying to me and he's saying to you, unless you've been born again, you're going to hell. It's just that simple. Nothing else matters. So that hurts, right? So I'm going to lighten it up for you a little bit about childbirth. I remember when we first, Kendra and I first got married, and God put us in an amazing church down in Chattanooga. And we started doing door-to-door -door visitation. We would do evangelism, explosion training, continued witness training, all these programs to teach us how to share our faith. Man, I loved it. I'd never done that before. And somebody had given us a name of a young couple who was in the neighborhood that might need a church. And so uh, my partner and I, we went over and we knocked on the door and this lady came out. She had this little baby and, and we said, hey, somebody gave us your name. We just wanted to come and talk to you about our church. And she said, oh, that's fine. My husband should be home anytime. I need to change the baby. You come on in, have a seat on the sofa, and I'll be back out in a minute. So we go in there, we sit on the sofa. And right there on a the coffee table, there's a beautiful photo album that says, my baby. All right? Well, that's good. I'm just, you know, we're comfortable. She said, opened it up. First picture, you know what it is? It's the mama with her feet in the stirrups giving birth to this baby. I mean, 
Childbirth is beautiful, but keep it, keep it to yourself. It's etched. It's forever etched in my memory. Okay? And now she comes back out. Her husband comes in. And so I'm, now it's time for me to tell him about Jesus. This is how I did it. Well, we're just here from the church. I couldn't make eye contact. I said, we're just from the church, and we just want to invite you. It's a great church. God's doing great things. And, you know, and if you don't know Jesus, I'm sharing. I'm presenting salvation. And all, I couldn't make eye contact, okay, because of that album, all right? And so, so now, now here's what happens. See, I, 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 we laugh about that, okay? And it's easier to laugh, all right? It's, e- it's easy to laugh about things. And that's what Nicodemus was doing. He's laughing about childbirth, and all the while, Jesus wasn't talking about childbirth. Jesus was talking about spiritual birth. Now watch what he does. Point number four. He says, this is no joking matter. Nicodemus said, you're joking me, right? Jesus said, this is no joking matter. He explains what he's talking about. He explains it to Nicodemus, and he explains it to us all. And he says in verses 5 through 8, He says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, But do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he unpacks it. He says, Nicodemus, I know your heart. I know you're proud of your religion. I know where you're coming from. I know you really just want to know what is it I can do to be sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. I know that you came here and you acknowledged me as the rabbi. I know really why you're here is for extra credit. You just want to know if there's another box that you can check. What is it? I'll check that box too. I'll add it to my list so that I can be sure when my life is over, I'll find myself in heaven instead of hell. Jesus says, don't marvel at this. You must be born again. He says, Jesus says, let me explain. What's born of flesh is flesh, and what's born of spirit is spirit. Now, there's a lot of theologians and commentators that want to dissect this and say, well, when it says what's born of water, that's talking about being, being born of the Word of God. I don't believe that. I believe it simply means you have a flesh birth. You were born of water. It's an amazing miracle. You know, you're nine months in your mother's womb, and you're breathing fluid, And at the moment when you come to this earth, when you're delivered, all of a sudden you start breathing air. It's just amazing to me, all right? And I believe that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you got everybody in here? Listen, you got that box checked. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's not one person in here who's not experienced water birth. None of you were hatched. You were all here the same way, brutal full, okay? You got here through a water birth, But then Jesus says, that's your flesh. You got that. But the spirit is the other part of you. And it must be born again. And so he says, it's similar, but vastly different. Well, how is it similar? Well, the flesh birth involves sacrifice, change, pain, labor, delivery, and training. What about the spiritual birth? Sacrifice. Change, pain, labor, delivery, 
and training. It's an imperative. We got to be born again. Now, these are unusual words. These, these, are, these are words that Jesus used that, that if, we don't, if we're not careful, we miss the greatness of what this command is. <clears throat> because there's a lot of people that want to rely on themselves at being good enough to go to heaven. But one day we all stand before Jesus. Look at the person next to you and say, he's talking to you. Yeah. We all one day stand before Judge Jesus. And he judges us for everything. We answer for our deeds. But the number one thing that he's judging us for is whether or not we've been born in the Spirit. Whether our spirit has been made alive. And that's not something we can do for ourselves. Nicodemus couldn't muster up enough good deeds to give his soul, his spirit, a rebirth. That's something that has to come from heaven down into the depth of who we are. How do you know? How do you know? Because it's important that you know. Why is it important that you know whether or not you're born again? Because, listen, most of the people in the world will not go to heaven. We like to think everybody's going to heaven. We go to the funeral and they have a, some scoundrel laying there in a box. Well, old Billy, he's in a better place. Not if he ain't born again, he's not in a better place. He's in hell where there's torment. I mean, it's not a better place unless it's heaven. Yet most people won't go to heaven. How do I know that? Scripture tells us. Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. But how narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Do you hear those two groups? Many on the wrong road. Few going through the right gate. He goes on in verse 21. He says, here's the deal. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that, on that day, Lord, Lord, just like Nicodemus, listen what they're going to say. They're going to say, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and, and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's sobering stuff, right? I mean, that's like, that's, that's, that really makes us think. And it should. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. And the Holy Spirit wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt if your life ended today where you would spend eternity. Now, I have a confession. I got saved when I was a little boy in 1972. And nobody, I was scared to death. I white-knuckled the seat. I was terrified. And yet, on the last night of a revival, I walked down to the front of the church, and, and I just told the preacher, I'm just here to be saved. And I was. And he saved me. The preacher, not the preacher saved me, the preacher led me. He says, I want you to invite Jesus to come into your life. I want you to receive grace tonight. And, and in that moment, it was my time. It was my time. The whole world could go to hell in a handbasket. And in that, in that fraction of a, a moment, 
the God of creation was bringing me to himself. I didn't understand theology. I didn't know the difference between Bible characters. I didn't know anything but this. I was a sinful little boy, and there was a perfect God who loved me enough to give himself to fix me and make me right. And on that night, I received Jesus into my life. Just that simple. And I, I, and I, I know I, I, got, I got plenty of whippings after that. I was not perfect from the vantage point of my mom and dad, but I was perfect in the eyes of my Father in heaven because he saw me in Jesus. And I never will forget, I turned around in that church, and I was just, I, something happened. Something happened in my soul. And it was not generated or fabricated from me. It came from heaven. I was born again in 1972. And the question is, when were you born again? Jesus didn't say, you have to say a certain prayer. You have to attend church. You have to do this or do that. He says simply this, you must be born again. You've got to have a birth, a new birth on the inside. And so 2 Corinthians 13, 5, if you're here and you're wondering, you know, I, I wonder if I'm really born again. I wonder in this moment if I've ever been born again or if I just have a religion. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says this to you. It says, put yourselves to the test. To see if you are in the faith. Not to see if you know about the faith. Not to see if you know others who know the faith. Not to see if you've kind of considered the faith. Put yourself to the test to to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize regarding yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? If you want to read more about knowing with certainty whether or not you're born again, you can read the same, the same writer, John, and you'll find out that he wants you to know. He'll tell you, you can know, you can know, you can know, you can know, and this is how you know. He tells you all about it. Now, here's the thing. Um, it's important that we don't find ourselves at the end of our life with a whole list of religious credentials, having missed the first step of being born again. Sometimes people are never liberated from a sinful proclivity or habit. Sometimes people never experience the joy and victory of Jesus and their salvation. Sometimes uh, people struggle. They don't love the word of God. They don't love, they don't like talking about Jesus. They never love his church. And part of it is because maybe, just maybe, we've adopted a religion and we missed being born again. I want to show you what, what it looks like that we get the first steps first. Um, I got a sermon prop for this morning. And she's one of the coolest little sermon props on the planet. This is my girl. <laughs> yeah, you. Come up here, Popo. Hi there, sweet peas. Man, is she cool or what? I just sit her right here, let the whole world see. Right here. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this baby right here. You're just too cool. 
Now, what does this have to do with first steps? Well, inside this little girl, when she was conceived, God placed in her the ability one day to do incredible things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're laughing at you. Okay? They laugh at me too, so it's okay. Yeah, you wave at them, that's cool. And so, so what, does it, what does it mean to get the first steps first? Now, when she got here, I could have said, baby, you are awesome. Let's, I want you to, I mean, that newborn, well, you know, when I went at the hospital when she's delivered, man, you're looking good. Won't you get up and dance a little jig? I'll turn the music on. She wouldn't have danced. I could have taken a bicycle down to the hospital and said, here you go, baby girl. Here's your bicycle. Run it up and down the hallways. Check it out. She wouldn't have done that. I could have said, here's your soccer ball. Run up and down the hall kicking this soccer ball. You wouldn't have done it. But Why? Because there's steps required to get to the greater steps. And so just a couple weeks ago, she was with us, and uh, we were messing with her a little bit. And we, she'd been standing up and letting go. And so we just stood her up. We said, hey, baby, what's this? And so we just stood her up, and that's what she does. I know, all. Yeah, whoa, hey, whoa. She's still, got, she's still working on it. Don't y'all laugh. Y'all fall down, too. I've seen you. Yeah, that's right. Close enough right there. And I'm going to give you some sugies right here. Okay. She's beautiful, isn't she? Man. If I'd have known grandchildren were so great, I would have adopted grandchildren and skipped child raising. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Caitlin. You and Kelsey, I love y'all. All right. Now, here's the thing. When she walked, we, sent, we, we debated, do we send this little video to Caitlin or is it going to make her like jealous or mad or is she going to hate us or whatever? But we sent a video. Why? Because we were excited that she's taking these first little beginning steps. All right? I was excited. Mimi was excited. Max, her daddy, was excited. Caitlin, her mommy, was excited. Her AK and Bubba was excited. Why? Because we're celebrating that she can walk. Now, hold on. What's the big deal? We all walk, right? I mean, come on. What's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Because we understand as adults that because now she takes those first steps, it leads to better steps, bigger steps, more exciting steps. That whole bicycle thing, one day she'll ride a bicycle. She'll probably dance and play and kick a soccer ball. But she had to get that step right first. And in the church today, often what we do is we skip the first step. We find ourselves in a church sometime and we say a prayer or we do this thing because everybody's kind of doing this thing. And all the while, we haven't been born again of the Spirit. And so I ask you this question this morning. Have you been born again? Is your spirit, has the spirit of who you are been made alive? Not because of something you've done, but because of something he did for you. Because listen, just like we're excited about those first steps of that little baby girl, how much more is our heavenly father Jesus, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our Comforter, how much more excited is he when he sees us take that first step? Because he knows what the great stuff is that's waiting on the other side of getting those first steps right. 
I want you to bow your heads this morning, close your eyes. How can you know in this moment, maybe if you've been born again, what does your life look like? Do you have a love for the Word of God? Do you have a love for Jesus, God's Son, that's passionate and burning? Do you have a desire to follow the inner direction or the inner witness of the Holy Spirit? Do you have a desire for holiness in your life to fight against the flesh? Do you have a desire to share the greatness of who Jesus is with your friends and those that you work with and go to school with? If you don't, it may be because you've simply never been born again. And I want you to know that God loves you right where you are and loves you way too much to leave you right there. He has done literally everything possible so that you could have a relationship with him forever. He has done everything possible in this moment to have you in this place so that you could receive his grace gift, be born again into the kingdom, and forever be considered a child of God. Do you understand this, that if you, when you were born physically, you can never be unborn again? And I want you to know that when you are born spiritually, you can never be unborn spiritually again. He, when he gives you new birth, it lasts for all of eternity. So maybe you're here this morning, and you know that this is your day. Just like my day was in 1972, yours is in 2019. That everything else in the world and in your life has just disappeared into oblivion. And the Spirit of God is reaching in the depths of who you are, inviting you into an, a, a relationship with a true and living God. What do you do with that? You simply receive it. You simply say, Father, I know me. I'm sorry that you know me too. Right now in the depth of my sinful condition, I hear your Holy Spirit inviting me into new birth, into new life, into a relationship with you. I receive your invitation. Forgive all of my sin in Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to live for you from this day forward. Save me. Give me new birth. Change me forever. I pray it in Jesus' name.